He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself yet even further, becoming obedient to death, even death upon a cross. These beloved words are written by Paul in a letter he sent to a young church that he had planted in the area of Philippi. And it's words that many in the early church regarded as a hymn. And hymns are these songs, these poems that are used to extend praise to God as as we remember his power and his majesty and his goodness to us. But then when we picture Jesus hanging on a cross on the verge of death, that's not really a scene that, that sort of lends itself to an attitude of praise. When we encounter such great losses that our, our minds and our hearts tend to go to other places because there's this, this searing sting when we're faced with death. Even those who are closest to him, his closest followers who had walked with him for years, as they, as they observed this scene, they were starting to lose hope. It wouldn't be long until they would gather again in a room, and I imagine as part of that conversation they had, as they thought about the journey they had been on with Jesus in the years prior, they would ask themselves, do you remember when, do you remember when we were there? When we were there at that time, he sat on the hillside and taught the mount, on the mountainside and taught the multitudes and opened our minds to truth that we had never thought of. Remember when we were there when he healed the sick and he, and he calmed the storm and he cast out the demons? Remember that time we were there and he tenderly invited those children to come to him and, and to sit on his lap and he talked with them and he laughed with them? Remember, remember when we were there and he faced off against the religious leaders who were threatened by him? And remember, remember that night when, when we were with him in the garden and they came and they arrested him and they, and they tried him. He said nothing in his own defense. And as they looked at each other, because they had been scattered from that point on, some had ran, some had followed. They looked at each other and said, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? You see, this was not the direction they thought it was going to go. They were were thinking power and victory and status. That's where we're heading towards. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they hail him as King and Messiah with ideas of what they could gain. Because he was going to bring freedom. He was going to bring protection for them from their enemies. He was going to bring back dignity to their nation. But this display of suffering and sacrifice, where's the victory in that? Jesus had tried to tell them this was going to happen. Three times he tried to explain it to them. Just as recently as, as hours before his arrest. He tried to explain it to them again, yet they still just didn't seem to get it. I, I think some didn't understand, but perhaps others have, have like these filters that we hear things through. Perhaps this is something you've experienced in the past, where, where you hear the words of something, but either based upon preconceived notions or just such a strong desire for what you want to have happen, you, you hear the words, but you understand something different. Nadine accuses me of this at times. Perhaps you've experienced it too where you hear something, but your understanding is very different than what reality turns out to be. And they had heard his words, but they had missed the point. They had heard through the filter of what they wanted. But it wasn't just the words that the disciples had a hard time understanding. It was also this image of Jesus dying on a cross that they wrestled with. But in this hymn that that Paul shares, in these few words... He explains the path that was laid out for Jesus, that he would walk 
that would lead him to the cross. A path that we too are called to walk if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now our path may not, and it's very unlikely, to lead to the point of death. But in his death, we see a path that is is exemplified by humility and obedience and self-sacrifice. And that's a path we are called to walk in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with one another. If you were with us last Sunday, we discussed how there are these external forces that come against us, and there are these internal attitudes and forces that want to seek to to divide us. We need to guard against these things. Internal things such as selfish ambition and and vain conceit and self-centeredness. But as you look at Jesus hanging upon the cross, making that ultimate sacrifice, none of these match that scene. Instead, what we see is Jesus, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Now, there are people who have different theories about who Jesus was. Some people will say he was a good teacher, words to live by, good wisdom to to be aware of and to follow. Other people will say that, that he was a prophet from long ago. Other people suggest that he was just a, a fictional character of history even. But the Bible declared, this passage right here, amongst other passages, such as in the Gospel of John, declares that he was with God and he was God from the beginning. That he was preexistent, that, that Father, Son, along with the Holy Spirit, three in one, eternally existing from the beginning, in perfect harmony and love and community, distinct but equal. Existing in this position of completeness and authority, not lacking anything, is the state in which he existed. But Jesus didn't see that as something to be grasped, something to be tightly clung to, or or something that a leader would leverage for their own advantage. We've seen this throughout history. We've known people throughout the time of history where there's been tyrants who have exploited their authority for selfish benefit. We've seen in history leaders who, who use their elevated status to rob and to make their lives better from the poor. Rulers who use their privileged position to access luxury and comfort for themselves. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He held everything, even his divine position, with open hands. Not something to be leveraged for himself, but but to be used in accord with the will of the Father for the benefit of others. You know, in life, there are situations where we face similar opportunities and similar questions for ourselves. Maybe if you, at some point, come into a large sum of money or get promoted to a position of power of some sort, we face these similar questions. Will we grasp that? Will we protect it? Will we make sure that it's used exclusively for our use and for our purposes? Will we, will we leverage it for personal gain? Or will we see it as the blessing, the benefit that can do good for others? Will we grasp it or with open hands? But also when we hold things with open hands, we are signaling to God that we're letting go of it. We're letting go of control. We're allowing God to be the one who directs, the the one who will choose to use it for his purposes and, and he will use it, whatever's in our hands, in the manner that he wants to see. When it's placed under his will and under his control, he may take that out of your hands and he may head off in a completely different direction than you ever thought. But as you allow that to happen and follow in his footsteps, you will see the results are exponentially greater than you ever thought. 
placed into his hands as opposed to ours grasped. Now, in the case of Jesus, the direction that that headed was to make himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Jesus went from the highest point of heaven to the lowliest point on earth as Jesus emptied himself of all privilege of the position he held. Now, Paul's not suggesting here that he relinquished any of his divine attributes or that he ceased to be God. Rather, what he's saying is that Jesus, who had all the rights as king of the universe, gave that up to be found in the form of a baby laid in a manger who would walk a path that would lead him to a cross. You know, in Mark Twain's classic book, The The Prince and the Pauper, we see the story of Prince Edward VI who, who dons the rags of a poor boy and spends time living among his servants. And as he does so, he experiences all of the filth and the brutality and the sin that exists within this land over which he ruled. But even though he was dressed as a pauper, the prince remained a prince. So too, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, he wasn't moving from being king of heaven to being king of earth. That we probably could have understood. But he went from being king of heaven to being a servant, or more accurately for the audience that Paul was initially writing, a slave. Now, slaves in that time were people who typically were provided for. They, they were given the basic necessities of life, but they were of the lowest social status. You could not get any lower than a slave. They were deprived of basic human rights, and their entire lives was given to the submission of another person. Well, in the same way that Jesus was the very nature God, it says here that he was the very nature a servant. And this is an incredible concept to grasp because that means that the role of a servant is not incompatible with the nature of God. That within God's nature is this loving, giving servitude. Jesus taught on this himself actually one time when he was talking to his disciples and he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And the greatest way in which he served was to give his life as a ransom for many. And so while Jesus had the right to stay where he was as the king of all creation, in that position of power, out of love, out of love for you, and for you, and for you, he chose to don a position of weakness. So that for the sake of sinful humanity, of whom he created, for the sake of sinful humanity of whom he lived among and whom he loved. He loved to the point that being found in the appearance of a man, he loved them enough that he would humble himself to become obedient to death, even death upon a cross. We, on occasion, we'll hear stories and situations of people who are willing to give their lives for another. And there really is no other greater act of humility or, or, or selflessness that exists to, to sacrifice yourself for another. We, we see stories of this and we remember and we hail people like, like first responders who run towards danger so that others can escape it. Of those who serve in the military who go into the face of danger to protect our security and to protect our freedoms and to defend the innocent. And what parent would not risk their own life to save their child? 
And so we can conclude that, that these people make this ultimate sacrifice out of some sense of, of duty and love. They're, they're, they're doing what they were trained to do. They have a responsibility to protect their fellow citizens. And at the same time, they're acting out of a devotion for those whom they're committed to and have an affinity with. Well, in a similar sense, Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins out of a duty and devotion. It's out of a duty because ultimately it was the purpose for which he came. And he was obedient to follow that path to the very end until he was hung upon and died upon a cross and then buried in a tomb. But the driving force behind all of this was not selfish gain. It was not for his own benefit. The driving force was love. Love for all of us. Now on the surface, these sacrifices may look similar, but the sacrifice of Jesus is unparalleled. And here's why. Because first and foremost, it's unparalleled because he was the incarnation of God. He was fully man and fully God. The only one through whom salvation could ever be made possible. You see, as being fully man, he was our representative before God. And so just as sin entered into the world through one man, so through one man, righteousness, forgiveness, freedom from that sin would come as our representative. But being fully God meant that he was also perfect and sinless in his sacrifice and that he was the offering that was worthy to be offered because he was offered without blemish and an acceptable offering towards God. But the second reason his sacrifice is unparalleled is because while others may make this ultimate price for the loved ones and for those who they have kinship with, you don't hear many stories of somebody giving their life and making that ultimate sacrifice for their enemies. And yet in Romans chapter 5, it says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though someone might possibly dare to die. But God did this. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still distant from him, while we still hadn't even acknowledged his existence, probably doubted his existence, some of us may even have been hostile towards his existence. 